Hello and welcome to another episode of Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy. My name is Milani Favurt. In this episode, we change direction a bit and we focus on the partners, in particular the male partners, of the women who have had or is going to have a hysterectomy. But before we go on, please, as always, remember that this podcast is intended for information purposes only and must, of course, never replace medical intervention. If you're worried, please contact your medical provider immediately. When women go through hysterectomies, it also affects their families and partners specifically. Men often experience intense emotions and uncertainty themselves whilst having to support their partners. And of course, with women unable to do much for the first few weeks, they frequently have to step in to help with all the domestic chores, which some do with more success than others. So to talk about all of this, I want to welcome Malcolm Nichols, who joins us from New Zealand. Malcolm is the host of a podcast called Man Reimagined, where as he puts it, he gets men to discuss the issues men need to talk about. And I'm also joined by Legero de Cruz, whose wife recently had a hysterectomy. Welcome to you both. G'day, Melanie. So, Lugero, let me start with you. I think it's been just over three months, right, since your wife's operation. Tell yes. me how it happened. Basically, the surprise aspect of it comes from just having not gone back to the gynae for a little bit longer than usually would have been the case. And obviously, there was this... I've got to go, I've got to go. And I kept on putting it off and eventually went to do what would have been a routine, you know, annual check or whatever the case may be. Comes home and she says, I need to talk to you and announces that she needs to have a hysterectomy. So for me, and I was actually chatting to a friend about it earlier today as well. The only point of reference that I had was that my own mom had had one, but I'd completely lost track of time in terms of how old she was when she had hers. And for some reason, I had thought that this is something that happens at, at an older age. So my wife is now 49. This is something that, you know, women in their 60s are going to be doing. It kind of just showed how little I knew about when it happens and how it happens. So immediately it was all just very, very new. I won't say I was shocked. I'll say I was surprised. And then obviously once she explained, you know, the medical um, reasoning behind it, then obviously, I mean, I, I understood, you know, the necessity for it to, to be done and to be done as soon as possible, obviously to eliminate any further complications if one had to wait. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to process this idea of a wife who is relatively young and and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how you know I, I wasn't aware at all that women in their 40s were, were having hysterectomies and then that same evening spoke to my mom and of course she says to me well I was in my 40s when I had mine and of course hmm. when she was in her 40s I was in my 20s I don't know at that point I was just like okay you had this completely wrong. You didn't. You never knew how this works and when it can happen. Obviously, my wife put me completely at ease and she was like, there's no actual problem. It's just, it's at a point where it should be done and it needs to be done. It's pretty routine. Lots of people do it, etc. So don't be worried. We're having a follow-up consultation where 
our gynae would or her gynae would then go through the process and just explain it to me so that I would understand what, what the story is. So you were fairly well prepared then for what was going to happen? Well prepared means, yes, I understood that it is a fairly common procedure and I understood how it was going to be done because it was very clearly explained. So my wife's gynae, she's been going to him for a really long time. We're really comfortable with him. He's one of the best, delivered both our children, and she had been seeing him long before that already. So it's a very sort of um, comfortable relationship already because we, we're familiar with each other. So that automatically sets your mind at ease. So I'll say I was well prepared from, from the point of view that I understood what was happening, why it needed to be done, and how it was going to happen. What obviously we were not prepared for was the after. So Mm. I am a very involved dad. Do a lot of stuff around the house. I always have. I've always looked after my kids. We share the responsibilities. We share the duties. So I am one that cooks and I'll sort out house stuff and whatever. It's kind of just something that I've always just always been that way, even before kids. The responsibility of Marina being not able to do the majority of things around the house that she normally would be able to do wasn't really difficult or daunting to grasp because I'm quite comfortable, you know, sort of handling things. We also have our kid's nanny who's been with us for as long as my first son was born. So that's 13 years and she's just absolutely wonderful. So we knew that I was going to be in good hands in terms of, you know, the household and things getting done and kids getting to school and all that kind of stuff. So that wasn't a real concern. It was more a question of, okay, how much are you really not going to be able to do? So we kind of go through a checklist of, right, well, won't be able to drive for so many weeks, won't be able to actually sit up, won't be able to physically, you know, go into the kitchen make a cup of tea, whatever the case may be, the tiny details. And I was totally comfortable with that because I'm okay with that. I am I am the type of guy that does do breakfast in bed for my wife and, mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. The, the concept or, or the idea of having to look after her more wasn't really something that was scary in, in any way for me. I wasn't nervous about it. I wasn't concerned about juggling one of the things that I did do immediately, and I'd also I'd just started a new job with a new company, and I immediately said to my direct uh, point of contact at the company, the person that I report to, I said, look, this has just happened. I know I've started like a week ago, but this has just happened. You're going to need to bear with me for the next six to eight weeks because my wife is undergoing a procedure. She's not going to be mobile Everything is going to follow me in terms of school runs, shopping, and obviously cooking and all that kind of stuff around the house. So I just want you to know that this is taking priority above anything else. He was very understanding and he was like, we're very chilled. We're very relaxed. We are a small company. Family comes first and you've got to do what you've got to do. When you're not available, we'll understand. 
And that was actually so, pretty cool. So I, I want to get back to, to some of the things that were more difficult for you, but I first want to bring Malcolm in. Malcolm, I know your wife did not have a hysterectomy, but you went through your own journey of illness and recovery with her. Talk me just briefly through that, and then particularly around the more difficult emotions that one has to deal when your wife gets sick. Yeah, thanks, Val. So, yeah, my wife has been through a battle with leukemia for the last two years. So as I'm listening to Lugero, you know, as he talks about that that shock of, of, of coming home from the doctor um, and getting that message, I remember that very, very well. And I didn't have any idea what leukemia was. And, and if you were to ask me about a hysterectomy, I would be probably in the group of men who would be like, what? what? <laughs> I don't actually know anything about what to expect in there. So, yeah, I remember the absolute terror really of getting some getting some news all I knew was that it was big and that it was going to be a long journey of healing and unknown for for me just the fact that it was unknown um, I I felt like the floor disappeared underneath me yeah I I think panic is a really good emotion that I that I felt lots of fear and you know we have a you know we have a five-year-old um well she's now seven so it's been two years we've been going through this and and just that that sense of shit what what is this going to mean for for the the unknown just the whole unknown I, i probably went through every single thought projection into the future making up stories, doing everything all within, all within the space of probably, you know, one second or five minutes from the moment my wife told me it was, it was terrifying. And I spent probably the next three or four weeks in that space until we started to get into a routine around my wife's treatment and getting to, you know, once I got to understand things a little bit better, I could start to deal with the, the unknown a bit better but yeah really the stress and anxiety of the unknown was was absolutely terrifying would you both say i'll start with you malcolm is it important in order for to help with the the emotional side for the partner which i presume also involves a lot of helplessness at times is it important to empower yourself with as much knowledge as possible let me start with you mel uh yeah i mean that that was kind of key really because because I knew nothing at the time, um, I, I had to fill in the blanks because if I didn't, I was just making shit up. And, and I, I knew leukemia was a cancer, but I didn't know anything else other than that. So in some ways, that became the very first thing I needed to do was just to get information. Without it, it was uh, just completely overwhelming and terrifying. Legere, it sounded to me from what you said earlier that it was quite helpful for you as well to get as much information as possible beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, there I have to agree with Malcolm, even though we're talking about, you know, in his case, is something a lot more serious. It is really the only way that you can kind of focus around what to expect is to know as much as possible. This is the procedure this is the treatment, this is what's about to happen, this is the seriousness of it, the levels of highs and lows that you can expect. I totally agree. The more you know, the better equipped you are to deal with the situation at hand because once you receive the news, 
it's immediate. It starts that very mm. day where, okay, right, let's just start talking about what happens tomorrow, how do we plan, what are the logistics, time constraints in terms of how available you need to be for this particular thing, which is more important. For me, I, and I'll say, that, I'll say it that way, it's more important than anything else. I've got the saying where I go, everything else is just noise. When you get to a point like that, this is the one thing, this is the most important thing, so you focus on that. Everything else is noise. It doesn't matter, it's irrelevant, it automatically looks and feels much smaller than it would normally would. And I, and I would imagine in your case, Malcolm, that's like on a much higher level than my wife having a, a hysterectomy. So, so information is, is definitely key because it puts you in a position where you just understand more and you're able to basically adjust yourself more adequately to mm. what's about to happen and what's what's required. Even though you say, you say Ruggiero, mine is more, what was bigger, more terrifying. I mean, I'm... I'm sitting here going, because I know so little about hysterectomy, it, like I, I would be probably in the same state of terror because of my, the fact that I just don't know anything right now. And, if, you know, having this conversation has me realise, shit, I, one of the first things I should really do is probably get online and have a look a little bit more at the process of a hysterectomy. So, you know, it's that thing, I think when something is unknown, there is no frame of reference in it. It's terrifying, regardless. And exactly, yeah. And and I think that's a, that's a really important piece, right? Is that ignorance as as bigger killer and also as bigger creator of stress and anxiety as the thing itself. And um, yeah, information is key. Many men find it very difficult to deal with. A situation where their wife is in extreme pain. And Ajero, I know that your wife had a quite a difficult time in hospital, as I think many women do when they have hysterectomies. And Mel, you obviously also went through lots of times where your wife must have been extremely ill. Then there's also the physicality and the messiness about the physical recovery. Malcolm, tell me how you dealt with that. <laughs> oh, how did I deal with it? Well, um, so yes, huge amounts of pain, um, more pain than I could imagine somebody going through with the treatment, which was a real surprise. You know, I knew chemo was bad, but I didn't, didn't quite think it was going to be as bad. And the length of that recovery. So, I mean, how did I deal with it? it I guess it's one foot in front of the next. There's also a numbness I know I developed and, and that's part. So one of the things jumping ahead that we're having to recover in our relationship is the fact that you know watching my wife go through so much pain and such a long treatment and our inability to really connect on anything other than a you know I was the carer she was the carey and so part of our having to, to rediscover our relationship is to, to actually move out of the fact that I'm I don't have to be the carer anymore I don't have to look after her anymore but certainly watching somebody you love go through that amount of pain is gut-wrenching that's where my trauma has laid a lot you know there's the trauma of the diagnosis but for me the trauma of watching my wife go through that and be as helpless as I was you know I've had to do a lot of work around letting go of that and and it's still a, an ongoing process it hasn't been easy to be honest Mel. 
Tajero, and for you, when seeing your wife in so much pain, how, how did you cope? We had a twofold situation where normally the operation can be done keyhole. And in her case, it wasn't a full hysterectomy. So in other words, she didn't have all the bits removed. They initially tried what is the known and traditional and most common method, which which was keyhole. They struggled for the first hour and they couldn't get it done the way that they expected to. So her operation lasted longer than expected because they tried to go the usual route and eventually she basically had to be cut open. So essentially having another cesarean section, so to speak. With that came the prolonged wait for the phone call. That was like, okay, she should be done by now, and but then she wasn't. So it took longer to, to get the call. And then, of course, because there's now a cut, it's a recovery from a C-section, as well as the additional pain from um, the removal of, 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 uh, of the organs that had to be done. She and I went through a process of, okay, she's going through two different sets of pain. One is the, the one that is associated with the operation normally. And the second one was the, the unexpected one where she had to actually be cut. So she had to deal with that physical pain on two levels. And then, of course, the third one, which is obviously the emotional aspect of it, where she was like, okay, I really did not want to be cut and I really didn't want to have to have another cut that now needs to heal because having had two seizures before, she knew what that was like, but she's got that and the additional internal pain from the from the operation itself. So that led to an extra day in hospital just to make sure that she was okay. I was quite adamant with her that if you're not feeling up to it and if you're not feeling strong enough and if you're feeling like you need to actually rest an extra day, then stay and get the care that you need that you only get in hospital when you've got the medical professionals around you. It was difficult, similarly to what Malcolm was describing, that there's a certain helplessness because once it's done, at that point, there's nothing you can do. All you can do is be there for her and try and make sure that she's she's as comfortable as possible, but there's physically nothing that you can do. I kind of battled with that a little bit because it was like the first thing she said when she initially woke up, she says, I'm really sore, and I really did not expect this, and I did not expect for this to feel as strongly as it feels now. And that was like when somebody says that to you, you go, I can do nothing about it. (laughs) You know, you're like, I, I understand what you're saying to me right now, but there's actually physically nothing that I can do to make it better. All I can do is make sure that all our closest friends and all the people that matter, and those generally are you know, friends and family. We don't have any family in the country. We are on our own. So it's very close friends only. They all came to see her. I kept in touch with all of them. I tried to make sure that there was as much comforting around her as there possibly could be. So when I wasn't there, I liked the idea that somebody else had come to visit and somebody else had spent time with her. That was the thing for me. Whatever the responsibilities were at home with the kids and whatever, that that was all fine. That's all stuff that I'm used to dealing with. Leaving the hospital once you visited, 
she's there and you know the first couple of days you're completely out of it because you know you've got you're on painkillers and all the kind of stuff i mean she had visits from people that she doesn't remember having the visits from she would like wake up from one of the sleeps after having had medication look over and see there would be stuff like somebody would have dropped off a bag with like treats or whatever and she would like be going where the hell did that come from which was uh humorous in one sense but at the same time, it made you realize how out of control everything is around you at that point in time. I try to be obviously as, as sympathetic as possible and also as supportive as possible. How important is the support system for men when they have to support somebody else who's going through recovery or sick or, or, or they are sick? Personally, it's massive. You know, I mean, I, I'm fortunate. I heard Ruggiero doesn't have family. I, I was grateful to have lots of family around. So that meant that I could actually focus in on my wife. Um, you know, with our daughter, we actually moved in with my folks, with my dad and his partner, because certainly when having my wife out of action for the amount of time that she was, me becoming the main carer, I really needed that extra support to look after my daughter. Um, but also, and this was the big thing that I realized afterwards, I just needed that emotional support. Without that emotional support, I don't know if I would have got through it in the same way that I did because it was just all that, that fear that I was talking about, you know, just to be able to keep my life as simple as possible by focusing in on the things that I needed to do and get as much help as I needed. It made that journey survivable, really. I mean, I know I would have survived. Everybody does. But I felt like we got through it as good as we could. And, and it's because I've heard many times people say it takes, a, it takes a village to raise a child. I think it also takes a village in some ways to help somebody get through these major life experiences. My family, but also I had a number of friends who would check in on me all the time, give me calls. How are you doing? And when it's unsolicited like that, it's so good. And this is a thing that I've learned now the last couple of years is that when I'm in the shit like that, when I'm in the middle of it, sometimes I don't have the energy to reach out to other people to say, hey, look, I'm not, I'm struggling. I'm not doing very well. So when I had friends of mine reach out to me and just check in without me having to reach out to them, it made such a difference. That's a big lesson. I now, if a friend of mine, if I see that they've got shit going on, whether it's to do with their partner or whatever, I, I will reach out to them rather than wait for them to reach out to me because I just didn't have the energy to do that. Tell me, Lugero, Malcolm mentioned earlier about changes in their relationship. We're a couple of months down the road now for you. Um, has it changed your relationship with your wife in any way, either for the better or for the worst? That's an interesting one to answer or to try and answer. I'll put it this way. My wife, basically, she runs the house. She's the one that knows what's happening with everything. She's the one that runs the family calendar. She knows what's happening with the kids at school and all that kind of stuff. And she feeds me that information. And obviously, I fit in where I need to be to take on said or certain responsibilities. One thing that changed during that time was the fact that because she was in and out of like sleeping and resting, etc., whatever, I had to kind of be more alert and make sure that I knew more about what was going on sort of in general around the family, which is not to say that I 
don't generally know. I mean, but we, we just, we communicate constantly. I couldn't rely on her for anything like that, like anything to do with the school, with the kids and all that kind of stuff. I had to obviously just kind of step it up a little bit more and pay attention. So from a responsibility in the roles in the relationship, I would say that obviously I had to step up a little bit more. From an emotional point of view, it was one of just making sure that I checked in on her and made sure that she ne- had what she needed and that she was comfortable, whatever. So I, it's a tricky one for, for me to answer. I mean, I was very sensitive to the fact that she couldn't do stuff and I had to change her dressing and all this kind of stuff, which is all, it's nothing new and, and all of that. But like Malcolm was referring to earlier, be, becoming the carer when generally the mother in the family is in most aspects, is kind of the mother of the family and plays the mother figure and looks after everyone, where she was now not in a position to do that. So it just made me more aware that the father's role or the husband's role in everything that's going on is is actually more important than we sometimes maybe give it credit for. I've got friends who do basically bugger all. They don't really help around the house that don't help their wives etc at some point i did think about how would they be coping right now without having that one person that that runs the household from a relationship change point of view is obviously physical aspect and from a an intimacy point of view you've got to be able to just switch off that none of that is going to be happening and i was literally okay with that i mean i understood it I got it and I knew that that was something that was off the cards until such time that we knew full recovery is in place. How has that changed my relationship? I don't really know how to say. I'm just more sensitive to the fact that if you're not ready to be intimate, then you're not ready to be intimate. And you have to respect that and you have to understand that it's both physical and emotional on your wife's side and you have to understand it. And you have to kind of just come to terms with it and you have to just make peace with it and you must understand it. I think I did a pretty good job at it because, I don't know, I just did. I understood it. So it goes back to the more information you have about what's going on, the better off you are. If I had to pinpoint one thing where it has changed, I would have to say is that I'm more aware that I need to also be more sort of playing a stronger role in looking after her instead of relying on her to look after the whole family all the time. Malcolm, I'm going to end with you and say, if you have to tell men, what is the lessons that you have learned through all of this for the partners of men who have to look after women after the recovery, for example, after a hysterectomy? Patience is probably a really good one. I resisted getting support therapy, you know, and I've, which I've just started to do. And I can recommend that really highly. It's amazing what, now that I'm getting some therapy, I realized what I was holding on to and what I wasn't dealing with. You know, I, I have a lot of friends who I speak to, but actually getting that kind of extra support was incredibly valuable. As men, you know, I, I like to think that I can get my way through you know whatever life throws at me I you know I like to think that I can handle it but I I think actually admitting there are certain things 
that are above my pay grade and going through this type of thing with my wife is one of those things. And the word vulnerability is tossed around a lot these days, but I've, I've just had to learn how to be a bit vulnerable and, and actually say that, you know, I need help right now. I can't do this all on my own. Learning that has been, uh, it's been really beneficial for my wife because it's meant that, that I haven't taken on the whole load and she's been able to get what this better, you know, the full support that she's needed. But it, but it really has helped me. It's made such a, a huge difference for me just to say, fuck, I am, I am struggling right now. I need, I need help. And this is a universal lesson for men, really, just to be able to say, I need help. So whether it's to do with a hysterectomy or, a, or cancer that, that we went through or anything else, you know, that's been one of the gifts out of this, actually, is to, is to learn just how awesome it is to say, fuck, I need help. And Malcolm Legero, thank you so much for your openness and willingness to talk to me today. As always, my thanks to Nicola Bruns for producing this podcast and to you for listening. If you want to get in touch, please feel free to email me at hysterectomypodcast at gmail.com. I always love to hear from you. I'm Alani Favut. Until next time, stay strong and stay brave. <laughs>